0: Hello, and welcome to The Particular Baptist Podcast. My name is Daniel Vincent, here with my co-host Sean Cheatham. You can find us and other podcasts at reformpodcast.com. Also, check out our blog at theparticularbaptist.net. And if you're watching on YouTube and have not yet subscribed to the channel, hit that subscribe button and hit the bell to be notified when new videos arrive. Um, so today we are in our new studio. I've already been able to do stuff in here, but now I got Mr. Sean Cheatham with me today um so we'll probably maybe do this once a month like we used to um at our church this will be kind of our new home-based location um but it kind of adds a little bit more zest to the podcast so we're excited that we can uh be able to do this here today um one thing i wanted to mention last episode um sean and i were talking about um, part of exegesis and i i had i think misspoken um part exegesis is exegesis that talks about Christ as it relates to his uh, either his human nature or his divine nature, hence the term partitive. Um, So I just wanted to correct that. I think I had said that that was um, a part of it, but not all of it. Um, But that's really what it's about. And I just wanted to set the record straight on that. But we'll dive right into our topic today. So we're continuing our discussion through uh, First Clement. There's what, 60 chapters, Sean? 64, I think. Okay. Yeah. So we're maybe a little more than halfway through. It's a long book, um, but lots of good stuff. And we got uh, quite a bit to cover um, today. So Sean, before we get started,
1: do you have anything you want to
0: say? Introduction?
1: Introduction? Um, no, we're, we're still going through First Clement. We've seen uh, a bunch of interesting things so far. Um, uh, First Clement, um, just by way of reminder, if somebody's just tuning in to this podcast so they have a background, it's a very early um, church writing um, could be first century, maybe early uh, second century. And it's a uh, Clement writing to uh, the church at Corinth or, well, um, the author doesn't identify himself. It's traditionally known as Clement. Um, but uh, regardless, that's uh, somebody from the church at Rome writing to the church at Corinth because there's been issues at the church at Corinth. Um, they appear to have kicked out their leadership and, um, Clement, or whoever the offer there is, is um, exhorting the Corinthians to be humble, to be meek, and to submit to valid uh, leadership, church leadership. Yep. So it follows very much in the tradition of 1 Corinthians. Yeah.
0: And there's a lot of themes um, that carry over. So we're going to start in in chapter 33, and we'll read till chapter 49. So I'll start off. Uh, What then must we do, brethren? Must we idly abstain from doing good and forsake love? May the master never allow this to befall us at least, but let us hasten with instancy and zeal to accomplish every good work, for the creator and master of the universe himself rejoiceth in his works, for by his exceeding great might he established the heavens, and his incomprehensible wisdom, and in his incomprehensible wisdom he set them in order, and the earth he separated from the water that surroundeth it, and he set it firm on the sure foundation of his own will. And the living creatures which walk upon it, he commanded to exist by his ordinance. Having before created the sea and the living creatures therein, he enclosed it by his own power. Above all as the most excellent and exceeding great work of his intelligence. With his sacred and faultless hands, he formed man in the impress of his own image. And thus saith God, let us make man after our own image and after our likeness. And God made man, male and female, he made them. So having finished all these things, he praised him and blessed him and said, Increase and multiply. We have seen that all the righteous were adorned in good works, yea, in the Lord himself, having adorned himself with worlds rejoiced. Seeing then that we have this pattern, let us conform ourselves with all diligence to his will. Let us with all our strength work the work of righteousness. The good workman receiveth the bread of his work with boldness. But the slothful and careless dareth not look his employer in the face. It is therefore needful that we should be zealous unto well-being, for of him are all things. Since he forewarneth us, saying, Behold the Lord, and his reward is before his face, to recompense each man according to his work. He exhorteth us, therefore, to believe on him with our whole heart, and be not idle or careless unto every good work. Let our boast and our confidence be in him. Let us submit ourselves to his will. Let us mark the whole host of his angels, how they stand by and minister unto his will. For the scripture saith, ten thousands of ten thousands stood by him, and thousands of thousands ministered unto him, and they cried aloud, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of Sabaoth, all earth is all creation is full of his glory. Yea, and let ourselves then being gathered together in, in concord with intentness of heart cry unto him as from one mouth earnestly, that we may be partakers of his great and glorious promises. For he saith, I hath not seen, and ear hath not heard, and it hath not entered into the heart of a man. What great things he hath prepared for them that patiently await him. How blessed and marvelous are the gifts of God, dearly beloved. Life and immortality, splendor and righteousness, truth and boldness, faith and confidence, temperance and sanctification. And all these things fall under our apprehension. And then, think ye, are the things preparing them that patiently await him. The Creator and Father of the ages, the All-Holy One Himself, knoweth their number and their beauty. Let us therefore contend that we may be found in the number of those that patiently await Him, to the end that He may be, oh, we may be partakers of His promised gifts. Then how shall this be, dearly beloved? If our mind be fixed through faith towards God, if we seek out those things which are well-pleasing and acceptable to Him, if we accomplish such things as beseem His faultless will, And follow the way of truth, casting off from ourselves all unrighteousness and iniquity, covetousness, strife, uh, malignities and deceits, whisperings and backbitings, hatred of God, pride and arrogance, vainglory and inhospitality. For they that do these things are hateful to God, and not only they that do them, but also that consent unto them. For the scripture saith, But unto the sinner said God, Wherefore dost thou declare mine ordinances, and takest my covenant upon thy lips? Yet thou didst hate instruction, and didst cast away my words behind thee. If thou sawest a thief, thou didst keep company with him, and with the adulterers thou didst set thy portion. Thy mouth multiplied wickedness, and thy tongue wove deceit. Thou saddest and spakest against thy brother, and against the son of thy mother thou didst slay a stumbling block. These things thou hast done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest, unrighteous man, that I should be like unto thee. I will convince thee, and I will set thee face to face with thyself. Now understand ye these things, that ye that forget God, lest any time he sees you as a lion, and there be none to deliver. The sacrifice of praise shall glorify me, and there is the way wherein I will show him the salvation of God. This is the way, dearly beloved, wherein we found our salvation, even Jesus Christ, the high priest of our offerings, the guardian and helper of our weakness. Through him, let us look steadfastly unto the heights of the heavens. Through him, we behold as in a mirror his faultless and most excellent visage. Through him, the eyes of our hearts are, were open. Through him, our foolish and darkened mind springeth up into the light. Through him, the master willed that we should taste of the immortal knowledge who being the brightness of his majesty is so much greater than the angels, as he hath inherited a more excellent name. For so it is written, Who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire? But of his son the master thus said thus, Thou art my son, I this day have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the Gentiles for thine inheritance, and the ends of the earth for thy possession. And again he saith unto him, Sit thou at my on my right hand, until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Who then are these enemies? They are, the, they are wicked and resist his will. They that are wicked and resist his will. Let us therefore enlist ourselves, brethren, with all earnestness in faultless ordinances. Let us mark the soldiers that are enlisted under our rulers. How exactly, how readily, how submissively they execute the words given to them. All are not pre, uh, prefects, nor rulers of thousands, nor rulers of hundreds, nor rulers of fifties, and so forth. But each man in his own rank executed the words given by the king and his governors. The great without the small cannot exist, neither the small without the great. There is a certain mixture in all things, and therein is utility. Let us take our body as an example. The head without the feet is nothing. So likewise, the feet without the head are nothing. Even the smallest ones of our body are necessary and useful for the whole body. But all the members conspire and unite in subjection that the whole body may be saved. So in our case, let the whole body be saved in Christ Jesus, and let each man be subject unto his neighbor, according all, as also he was appointed with special his special grace. Let not the strong neglect the weak, and let the weak respect the strong. Let the rich minister aid to the poor, and let the poor give thanks to God, because he hath given him one through whom his wants may be supplied. Let the wise display his wisdom, not in words, but in good works. He that is lowly in mind, let him not bear testimony of himself, but leave testimony to be borne to him by his neighbor. He that is pure in flesh, let him be so, and not boast, knowing that it is another who bestoweth his countenance upon him. Let us consider, brethren, of what manner we were made, who and what manner of beings we we were when we came into the world, from what a sepulcher and what darkness he hath molded and created us, brought us into his world." having prepared his benefits aforehand ere we were born, ere ever we were born. Seeing therefore that we have all these things from him, we ought in all things to give thanks to him. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Senseless and stupid and foolish and ignorant men jeer and mock at us, desiring that they themselves should be exalted in their imaginations. For what power hath a mortal? What strength hath a child of the earth? For it is written, there was... No form before mine eyes, only I heard a breath and a voice. What then? Shall a mortal be clean in the sight of the Lord? Or shall a man be unblameable for his work, seeing that he is distrustful against his servants and notice some perversity against his angels? Nay, the, the heaven is not clean in his sight. Away then, ye that dwell in houses of clay, wherefore even of the same clay we ourselves are made. He smote them like a moth, and from morn to even... Uh, To even they are no more, because they could not secure themselves, they perished. He breathed on them, and they died, because they had no wisdom. But call thou, if perchance one shall obey thee, or if if thou shalt see one of the holy angels, for wrath killed the foolish man, and envy slayeth him that has gone astray. And I have seen foolish uh, fools throwing out roots, but forthwith their habitation was eaten up. Far be their sons from safety, may they be mocked at the gates of the inferiors, and there shall be none to deliver them. For the things which are prepared of them the righteous shall eat, but they themselves shall not be delivered from evils. For as much then as these things are manifest beforehand, and we have searched into the depths of the divine knowledge, we ought to do all things in order, as many as the Master hath commanded us to perform at their appointed seasons. Now the offerings and ministrations he commanded to be performed with care, and not to be done rashly or in disorder, but at fixed times and seasons, and where and by whom he should have performed, he himself fixed by his supreme will, that all things being done with piety according to his good pleasure might be acceptable to his will, and therefore that make their offerings at the appointed seasons are acceptable and blessed, for they will follow the institutions of the master, they can go... For while they follow the institutions of the Master, they cannot go wrong. For unto the high priest his proper services have been assigned, and to the priests, their proper office is appointed, and upon the Levites their proper ministrations are laid. The layman is bound by the layman's ordinances. Let each of you, brethren, in his own order, give thanks to God, maintaining a good conscience, and not transgressing the appointed rule of his service, but acting with all seemliness. Not in every place, brethren, are the continual daily sacrifices offered, or the freewill offerings, or the sin offerings, and the trespass offerings, but in Jerusalem alone. And even there, the offering is not made in every place, but before the sanctuary, in the court of the altar, and this too through the high priest and the aforesaid ministers, after the victim to be offered hath been inspected for blemishes. And therefore, who do anything contrary to the seemingly ordinance of his will receive death as the penalty. You see, brethren, in proportion, as greater knowledge hath been vouchsafed unto us, so much the more we are exposed to danger. The apostles received the gospel for us from the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was sent forth from God. So then Christ is from God, and the apostles are from Christ. Both, therefore, came by the will of God in the appointed order. Having, therefore, received a charge, and having been fully assured of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and confirmed in the word of God with full assurance of the Holy Ghost, they went forth with the glad tidings that the kingdom of God should come. So preaching everywhere in country and town, they appointed their first fruits, When they had proved them by the Spirit, so to be bishops and deacons unto them that should believe. And this they did in no new fashion, for indeed it had been written concerning bishops and deacons from very ancient times for thus saith the scripture in a certain place, I will appoint their bishops in righteousness and their deacons
1: in faith. And what marvel, and, and what marvel, if they which were entrusted in Christ with such a work by God appointed the aforesaid persons, seeing that even the blessed Moses, who was a faithful servant in all his house, recorded for a sign in the sacred books all things which were enjoyed, enjoined upon him, and him, also the rest of the prophets, followed, bearing witness with him unto the, the laws that were ordained by him. For he, when jealousy arose concerning the priesthood, and there was dissension among the tribes, which of them was adorned with a glorious name, committed the twelve chiefs of the tribes to bring him rods, inscribed with the name of each tribe. And he took them, and tied them, and sealed them with the signet rings of the chiefs of the tribes, and put them away in the tabernacle of the testimony on the table of God. And having shut the tabernacle, he sealed the keys and and likewise also the doors. And he said unto them, Brethren, the the tribe whose rod shall bud, this hath God chosen to be priests and ministers unto him. Now when morning came, he called together all Israel, even the six thousand men, six hundred thousand men, and showed the seals to the chiefs of the tribes and opened the tabernacle of the testimony and drew forth the rods. And the rod of Aaron was only not with buds. Uh, And it it was found not only with buds, but even bearing fruit. What, think ye, dear beloved, did not Moses know beforehand that which would come to pass? Assuredly he knew it. But that the disorder might not arise in Israel, he did thus to the end that the name of the true and only God might be glorified, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And our apostles knew through our Lord Jesus Christ that there would be strife over the name of the bishop's office. For this cause thereof, having received complete foreknowledge, they appointed the aforesaid persons, and afterwards they provided a, a countenance that if they should fall asleep, other approved men should succeed them in their ministration. Those therefore who are appointed by them, or afterwards by other uh, men of repute, with the consent of the whole church, and have ministered uh, unblamably to the flock of God, uh, flock of Christ, in lowliness of mind, peaceably and with all modesty, and for a long time have borne a good report with those, uh, with all those men we consider to be unjustly thrust out from their administration. For it will be no light sin for us if uh, we thrust out those who have offered the gift of the bishop's office unblamably, and holily. Blessed are those presbyters who have gone before, Seeing that then, uh, seeing that their departure was fruitful and ripe, for they have no fear lest any one should remove them from their appointed pri- reported appointed place. Excuse me. Uh, for we see that ye have displaced certain persons, though they were living honorably from the ministration which had been respected uh, by them uh, blamelessly. Be ye contentious, brethren, and jealous about these things that uh, pertain unto salvation. Ye have searched the scriptures which are true, which were given through the Holy Ghost, and ye know that nothing unrighteous or counterfeit is written in them. Ye will not find that uh, righteous persons have been thrust out by holy men. Righteous men were persecuted, but it was by the lawless. They were imprisoned, but it was by the unholy. They were stoned by transgressors. They were slain by those who had conceived a detestable and unrighteous jealousy. Suffering these things, they endured nobly. For what must we say, brethren? Was Daniel cast into the lion's den by them that feared God? Or was Ananias and Azarias and uh, Misael shut up in the furnace of fire by them that professed the excellent and glorious worship of the Most High? Far be this from our thoughts. Who then were these that uh, who, who then were the, they that did these things? Abominable men and full of all wickedness, were stirred up as to such a pitch of wrath as to bring cruel sufferings upon them that served God in a holy and blameless purpose, not knowing that the Most High is the champion and protector of them that in a pure conscience, serve His excellent name, unto whom be glory and forever and ever. Amen. But they uh, that endured patiently in confidence inherited glory and honor. They were exalted and had their names recorded by God in their memorial forever and ever. Amen. To such examples as these, therefore, brethren, we also ought to cleave. For it is written, cleave unto the saints, for they that cleave unto them shall be sanctified. And again, he saith in another place, With the guiltless man thou shalt be guiltless, and with the elect thou shalt be elect, and with the crooked thou shalt deal crookedly. Let us therefore cleave to the guiltless and righteous, and these are the elect of God. Wherefore are these strifes and wraths and uh, factions and divisions and war among you? Have we not one God and one Christ and one spirit of grace that was shed upon us? And is there not one calling in Christ? Wherefore do we tear and rend asunder the members of Christ, and stir up factions against our own body, and reach such a pitch of folly as to forget that we are members of one another? Remember the words of our of Jesus our Lord, for he said, Woe unto that man! It were good for him if he had never been born, rather than that he should offend one of uh, mine elect. It were better for him that a millstone were uh, hanged about him, and cast into the sea, than that... Uh, He should pervert one of mine elect. Your division have perverted many; it has brought many to despair, many to doubting, and all of us to sorrow. And your sedition still continueth. Take up the epistle of the blessed Paul, the apostle, who wrote to first uh, who what wrote he first unto you in the beginning of the gospel, or that he charged you in the spirit concerning himself and Cephas and Apollos. Because that even then ye had made uh, parties, yet that making of parties brought less sin upon you, for ye were partisans of the apostles and were highly reputed, and of a man approved in their sight. But now mark ye, who they who are are that have perverted you and uh, diminished the glory of your renowned love for the brotherhood. It is shameful, dearly beloved. Yes, utterly shameful and unworthy of your conduct in Christ that it should be reported that the very steadfast and ancient church of the Corinthians, for the sake of one or two persons, maketh make sedition against its presbyters. And this report hath reached not only us, but them also which differ from us, so that, they, that ye even heap blasphemies on the name of the Lord by reason of your folly, and moreover, create peril for yourselves. Let us therefore root this out quickly. And let us not fall down before the Master and entreat him with tears, that he may show himself propitious and reconciled unto us, and may restore us to the seemly and pure conduct which belongeth to our love of the brethren. For this is the gate of righteousness opened unto life, and it, as it is written, Open me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter in thereby and preach the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, and the righteous shall enter in thereby. Seeing then that many gates are open, this is the gate which is in righteousness, even that which is in Christ, whereby all are blessed that have entrusted in or entered in and direct their paths in holiness and righteousness, performing all things without confusion. Let a man be faithful. Let him be able to expound a deep saying. Let him be wise in the discernment of words. Let him be strenuous in deeds. Let him be pure. For so much the more ought he to be lowly in mind, In in proportion, as he seemeth to be the greater, and he ought to seek the common advantage of all, and not his own. Let him that hath love in Christ fulfill the commandments of Christ. Who can declare the bond of the love of God? Who is sufficient to tell the majesty of its beauty? Love joineth us unto God. Love covereth a multitude of sins. Love endureth all things. It's long suffering in all things. Uh, There is nothing coarse, uh, nothing arrogant in love, love hath no divisions, love maketh no seditions, love doeth all things in concord, and love were all the elect of God made perfect. Without love, nothing is well-pleasing to God. In love, the master took us unto himself. For the love which he has towards us, Jesus Christ our Lord, hath given his blood for us by the will of God, and his flesh for our flesh. And his life for our lives.
0: Wow. A lot covered in that section. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lots, lots to go through. Um, so, right off the bat, because last time when we had met, we had talked about justification by faith, um, and we saw that Clement clearly taught that justification was by faith alone. Yes. And that there was no understanding here of any kind of works, righteousness. And then he, followed along the footsteps of the Apostle James, where he talked about uh, the expression of that faith in works. And so he continues that very clearly here uh, in chapter 33, that this outflowing of faith is to be done in obedience and good works. And then he continues to bring out that discussion um, as he goes on. I think you had a note here too. Oh
1: yeah, I just found it uh, interesting, and I'm I'm trying to scroll back to <laughs> the, uh, the the section to uh, to read to it. But you see a, a similar train of thought that you always see with uh, uh, with Paul, um, where he lays out justify justification by faith, and then immediately defends himself to saying, "But we still we still do works." Um, so immediately after uh, chapter thirty two, which discusses justification by faith alone, chapter thirty three, verse one. What must we do, brethren? Must we idly abstain from doing good and forsake love? May the Master never allow this to befall us at the least, but let us hasten with instancy and zeal to accomplish every good work. So he, following Paul's model, I guess you could say, of uh, defending the faith, um, immediately jumps into no, we we still do good works. Um, And this is what we should always expect when presenting such a, a radical gospel of justification by faith alone. We should expect people to um, then uh, come to us and be like, okay, so we're justified by faith. Therefore, we can do whatever we want, right? And if you don't have this this um, question following you, um, you probably should be concerned that you're not preaching the correct gospel. <laughs> right. um, and there are many gospels out yeah. there that this question would never enter into anybody's mind to ask because it is a false gospel. Um. Yeah. So that was the, what I had on that. Um, let's see. It even
0: continues that in chapter 35. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, but how shall this be dearly beloved if our mind be fixed through faith towards God, if we seek out those things, which are well-pleasing acceptable in him, if we accomplish such things as beseem his as faultless will and follow the way of truth, casting off from ourselves all unrighteousness and iniquity. So he's saying that if we are in fact, having true faith in God, then we will want to do these things. We'll want to cast off these works of unrighteousness. There's a, a clear connection between the two there.
1: Yeah. And then moving on to 34, we have several uh, references or allusions here. Um, uh, potentially to uh new Testament. I think one is very, the new Testament one is very clear. Uh, 34 one, the good workman receiveth the bread of his work with boldness uh sort of uh, reminded me of the workman is worthy of his uh, wages there. Um we also have in uh, th- uh 34:3 behold the lord and his reward is before his face to recompense each man according to his work and that could either be a, a reference to the book of revelation or to isaiah because revelation hmm. is referencing isaiah. But um the one that uh stuck out to me most was um 34:6 uh actually is it 34:6 Um actually 34-6 might be the one that's a revelation in Isaiah. I apologize. Um, but the one that stuck out to me most um is 34-8. Is that the one I'm referencing? Yeah. Um, and that is uh, for he saith, I hath not seen and ear hath not heard, and hath not entered into the heart of man, what great things he hath prepared for them that patiently await him. And um, this could be Isaiah sixty four four or First Corinthians two nine. Mm. Um, however, it um, Paul's quotations of uh, Isaiah sixty four four isn't quite exactly uh, what we see in the um, in Isaiah. It's uh, modified a little bit. Um, so this quotation actually more resembles First Corinthians two nine because it it follows the exact language of that. Um, so it seems like he's actually quoting from there. It is a New Testament quotation, and um, that would make sense if he's re- already referencing the letter to the Corinthians and he knows they would be aware with of it. Why would you not? Uh, why would he not uh, quote it in that way? Um, quote it like that as Paul quoted it. Um, and then we talked about thirty-five-five. Was there any, or anything you else you wanted to say about that, Dan? No, not specifically
0: okay. about that. Um, I did want to just kind of off topic a little bit, but he does allude, I guess in line with what you're talking about with mentioning the New Testament, he does Mm -hmm. allude to Hebrews one. Oh yeah. In talking about Christ and say, and he refers to the father as the master. Mm -hmm. And then he says, you know, above the son, he says X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. So there, there's definitely an appeal to the deity of Christ and seeing these, because I think Hebrews one is referring to Old Testament Mm -hmm. passages. Yeah. Seeing these things as applying to Christ from the Old Testament.
1: That's that's not off-topic. That's the very next thing I have in my notes, so there you go. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. Um, he's he's just directly quoting from Hebrews here, starting in 36, too, as, uh, as Dan said. Um, uh, let's see. Um, the master walked, uh, uh, sorry, um, through him the master will that we should have the taste of the immortal knowledge, and then starting a quotation, who being the brightness of his majesty is so much greater than the angels as he hath inherited it a more excellent name for it is so written who maketh his angels of spirits and his ministers of flame and fire. But of the so, of his son, the mastery said, he says, thus thou art my son. I this day have begotten thee Ask of me and I will give thee the Gentiles for thine inheritance and the ends of the earth for thy possession. Um, and again, he saith unto him, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. So this is not the first time we've seen a reference or quotation to um, Hebrews. But here we have quotation after quotation. Um, these are many of these are taken from the Old Testament again. But the fact that he lines them up exactly like Hebrews does indicates that he's really referencing Hebrews. He's not referencing the original um, or the original books that they were uh, quoted. from. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And he even uses um, even outside of the quotations from Hebrews, he even kind of paraphrases what Paul's. Yeah. OK. I'm... I'm not saying Paul is the author of Hebrews necessarily. Mm-hmm. The author of Hebrews, mm-hmm. the author of Hebrews, he kind of paraphrased, because the, the terminology of master applying to the father, yeah. that's not uh, found in Hebrews. No, it's not. But he's clearly alluding mm-hmm. to the father, and he's kind of paraphrasing the writers. Yeah. Um, well, that
1: gets into um, uh, how people of that era thought about quotations a little bit. Because as, mm-hmm. as I said before, when Paul quotes the Old Testament, he's not quoting exactly. But mm-hmm. the, we shouldn't take that to mean that Paul's being sloppy or he's mistaken about what the, uh, the quotation is, because in their mind, it was perfectly acceptable to uh, insert things into the quotation like we saw here and still be remain true to the quotation. They would take theological interpretations of Old Testament passages um, and uh, insert names that aren't in the passage, but are in the passage because that's what it's talking about theologically. Or they would um, combine citations, which I think we talked about at one point, maybe the first episode, they would combine some t- uh, citations on the same topic and treat them as one. But when you go into the Old Testament, they're actually from two separate books. In their mind, there was no issue with that. Um, and uh, um, Clement, following along in that tradition, just uh, adds a couple extra titles to um, to God there. Not that those are contradictory to uh, what the... Uh, Bible teaches, but he felt that it was important to bring that aspect out in describing God.
0: And they, they probably, because of the early church's familiarity with the Old Testament, there probably wasn't a need to necessarily quote. No. It was just like, okay, I'm para- I'm referencing this section of scripture. Mm-hmm. You're obviously going to know what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. well, we'll get into this a little bit more later, I think. But to me, it's actually, it's obvious that he doesn't have a text in front of him um he's he's quoting a lot of this from memory and i'll say that specifically because when we get to some passages it's very obvious that he's not quoting from any text at all because he's getting certain details wrong mm. but um we we'll, we'll, we'll save that for a little bit later um for all of chapter 37 i just wanted to note in passing that he's he's um he's talking about um well, maybe not all of chapter 37 but he's he's uh, alluding to paul's discussion about the church as the body um, in first Corinthians, uh, 37, five, let us take our body as an example. The head without feet is nothing. So likewise, the feet without the head is, are nothing. Even the smallest limbs of our body are necessary and useful for the whole body, but all the members conspire and unite in sub, uh, subjection that the whole body might be saved. Um, so that's, that's close in thought to what Paul wrote in first Corinthians. So he's clearly alluding it to, uh, alluding to it there. Um, so we just see throughout this this epistle that he's constantly making references to scripture to prove his point. It's um it's a very Protestant way of doing things.
0: <laughs> yes. And, and speaking of the Protestant way of doing things um, in chapter 44, um, he lays out kind of a gives us a glimpse into what uh, the early church thought of church government. Yep. Um, so I'll read chapter 44, verse two It says for this cause, therefore having received complete foreknowledge, they appointed the aforesaid persons. And afterwards they provided a continuance that if these should fall asleep, other approved men should succeed to their ministration. Those therefore who were appointed by them or afterward by other men of re- of repute with the consent of the whole church and having ministered unblameably to the flock of Christ in loneliness of mind, peaceably, with all modesty, and for a long time have borne a good report with all these men we consider to be unjustly thrust out of their ministration. And what's interesting is prior to this verse, uh, Clement is laying out kind of this chain of authority. He starts with Christ, and then he says, okay, from Christ we give the apostles, and then the apostles really are establishing the kingdom." And it's clear that he's talking about this in the context of establishing churches, right? Preaching the gospel, establishing local churches, um, because he moves his discussion into the local church. And it's interesting that he uses very specific language of how um, church proceedings went about. He says um, that there are certain men of good repute, but they're to be appointed by the consent of the whole church. This sounds very congregational, yeah. Right? This yeah. doesn't sound like um, someone being appointed by somebody outside of the local church. Yep. It's from the consent of the whole church, and he even alludes to some of the qualifications that Paul gives, um, like they're to be of good repute. That would imply um, being above reproach. Mm-hmm. These men have been tested, um, because it, he says that they've min- they have ministered unblamably to the flock of Christ. They're humble. They're peaceful they're modest and they have a good report so this is alluding i think to some of paul's um qualifications for elders and he's clearly talking about elders here but i think it's very interesting that very early on we see this church consent as it relates to um church polity and things that are going on in the church especially as it relates to member or uh, particularly as it relates to elders that the church is to appoint them they're not appointed by an entity outside of
1: yep um, I also on this, this subject, I'd like to point out, um, verse, uh, and of course I just lost it. Um, uh, starting at 44, three, um, for it will be no light sin for us. If we thrust out those who have offered the gift of the Bishop's office unblameably and holily. blessed are those presbyters who've gone before seeing their departure was fruitful and ripe. Um, so we see here that there's, um, there's the interchange between presbyter, elder, um, presbyter is just a, a Greek transliteration of the word we would normally translate as elder, um, and bishop. And that's exactly what we see in the New Testament. Um, and that's why uh, Reformed Baptists see those as identical offices under two names, um, because they are interchangeable. And here Clement is just is demonstrating that um, because he's he's using them interchangeably. And then there was one other thing I wanted to point out about this uh, on this subject. If we go to 47.6 real quick, Um, the word presbyter is used again. Um, It is shameful, dearly beloved. Yes, utterly shameful and unworthy of your conduct in Christ that it should be reported that the very steadfast ancient church of the Corinthians for the sake of one or two persons maketh sedition against its presbyters. So it specifically says presbyters, plural, the presbyters, the the presbyters, the bishops there are a plural amount of them in Corinth. And this is exactly what uh, we as Reformed Baptists say that how the church should be governed, it should be governed by a multiplicity of elders, a multiplicity of uh, bishops. There's not to be one bishop ruling over uh, uh, multiple churches. That's not what mm. the, Bibli- or the office refers to biblically.
0: And I'll mention too, um, kind of the backdrop of of this section going back to 42.5, two five, he mentions only two officers in the church, presbyters and deacons. there's no there's no office of evangelists. there's no um, different types of pastors. you know, it, it's there's two offices. There's the elders and the deacons. And he even seems to think that, both of these were prophesied from very ancient times. Now I don't know exactly what, what passage he was referring to. Ever, so is uh, it like uh in
1: extra biblical passage? It's, or? N- it's not. Um okay. uh, and I, where is that quotation?
0: But it is um, interesting that he does seem he does see only those two offices as being biblical. So
1: um it's a reference actually, and um it's a reference to the Septuagint, and I have an interesting view of the Septuagint, and I'll leave it at that. But <laughs> it's a reference to what we we say the Septuagint is uh, is today, to Isaiah sixty seven, which is um, and I will establish your rulers in peace and your overseers in righteousness. So at the very least, overseer overseers is the same word for bishop, so that um, that matches up. Although it's not overseers in righteousness, and then it says your rulers in peace, which does not correspond to deacon. And that's what I was uh, alluding to earlier, where I don't think Clement is sitting with a Bible in front of him when he's doing these quotations. I think he's quoting them from off the top of his head. Mm. We in modern America think like, oh, well, you know, I need to find this Bible verse. Let me Google it. Like, I sort of remember how it goes. Um, so let me Google to find it so I can quote it properly. Well, Clement might have vaguely remembered exactly um vaguely remember the wording and not remembering exactly where it was, quoted it from off the top of his head and didn't get it completely right. Um I'm not necessarily going to hold that against him because if you don't know where the it is in the Bible, unless you're gonna stop your letter and start reading from Genesis to um Revelation, um (laughs) assuming you had it in all one book like that, uh, until you find the quotation, then The letter would never get written. So um, I think he's probably quoting off his head here and he didn't get it quite right. Um, And then 46.2 is very interesting because while I don't, well, that is at least a biblical um, citation, we have 46.2 say, for it is written, Cleave unto the saints, for they that cleave unto them shall be sanctified. Now I couldn't find any. Um, reference to this whether it be the septuagint the masoretic text like um is this referencing some sort of non-canonical work that he thinks is uh canonical like i couldn't find what this was at all um and i was i started to think well is this some sort of like theological interpretation of a, a biblical passage and maybe it is but i'm not able to identify what it is so the way i i see this there's there's like two or three options for what it could be It is that he's quoting from an extra canonical work, but he uses the phrase for it is written. And I would have a hard time thinking that Clement is uh, thinking that something is uh, part of the Bible when it's not. And also that if it was such a um, well-recognized part of the scripture that he believes that it's scripture and him writing to the Corinthians, they would recognize it as scripture that we wouldn't even have any reference to it today. That would seem odd to me um he's maybe misremembering he thinks this is a biblical quotation when it's really not he picked it up from somewhere else maybe somebody preaching or something or he's making some sort of theological interpretation of the text and it's just unclear what what he's actually referencing here but i did find that to be very interesting mm, yeah
0: yeah it you know clement or whoever wrote the letter was a man and would you know make some of the same memory mistakes we might make oh yeah it um, yep. might just be writing what he knew with what he had. You know, we yeah. we shouldn't um, assume any kind of special mystical powers <laughs> of these guys. They were well, mere men who had what they had at the time.
1: Yep, and they made mistakes sometimes. So yep. that might have been what happened. I've made enough mistakes on this podcast. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to be hypocritical and hold Clement to a different standard, especially when he had far less than we do. <laughs>
0: um, we also see. Uh, the theme again continuing in the theme of James there seems to be this um, this low again continuing the example of humility and not showing partiality I think is what he talks about here there's to be this continued humility of the church and and he continues to rebuke them and he even uh, calls back to first Corinthians directly he calls it the first apostle and even calls it the gospel yeah um, which yeah. he considers Paul's letter to be a gospel I, I don't think that causes any issues, but it's it's interesting that he refers it well, that.
1: Well, at the very least, Paul does lay out the gospel in first yeah. Corinthians fifteen. Right. And that's that's where my mind initially went when I read that. It's like always oh, he referencing that laying out of the gospel there. But regardless, the gospel is contained in the yeah. letter, so. I
0: guess anachronistically I we think gospels mean. Yeah. Arthur. Arthur Conjunct- exactly. That's a modern categorization. Yeah, exactly. He so might we, not we have about him, in that gospel. Course. What does that mean? Yep. But it is interesting. He specifically, he tells him to go back and read the letter to the first letter that Paul wrote to them, which clearly they would have known and had. Mm-hmm. And he mentions for reference, he says, uh he talks about Cephas, which is Peter and Apollo. So, and he's talking about in the context of the divisions that they were having. So he's, hey, remember where Paul said, I follow Paul, or I follow Peter, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Apollos? Uh, Remember that. Listen to Paul's words. So that's really interesting, kind of that tie-in that that he has there. Um, Another interesting point, 45.3, he says, and you know that nothing unrighteous or counterfeit is written in them. You will not find that righteous person have been thrust out by holy men. And what he's talking about uh, in terms of nothing unrighteous and counterfeit is written. And he's talking about the scriptures. He's calling to the authenticity of the script or their, their truthfulness, their inerrancy that they're not fake. They're not counterfeit. And he's really establishing the credibility of the scriptures. Like, look, you guys need to listen to this. This is, there's nothing in here that is false or untrue. You need to establish your faith um on the scriptures. And it's interesting that this doctrine of um, inerrancy is brought out even this early and is seen as important into understanding theology in general. Mm-hmm. It's
1: exactly what we as Bible believers would expect because right. it's what the Bible lays out. Right. Um, it's a little bit harder for those that sort of have a more Hegelian um, view of church history that things developed over time. That the original mm-hmm. followers of Jesus, you know, they were just followers of this uh, apocalyptic preacher, this this wise man from Galilee. However, they would want to phrase it. Um, and that a lot of these develop these um, ideas didn't develop till later, um, like the Trinity. Um, I don't have it marked <laughs> in here, uh, but there's a spot where it specifically lays out the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost. Well, why why are they doing that? Why is Clement doing that? Because he already has um, a working doctrine of the Trinity. Um, mm-hmm. If he's if he's if he's been exposed to the scriptures, he already has that. Um, and he may have very well heard the apostles preach. So he would have that. Um, but the point being we wouldn't ex- we would expect to see all our doctrines um, maybe not in this specific letter because um, he's not going to cover everything, but we would expect to see our doctrines in there maybe not articulated um, as well as some in later times have because we've had a lot more time to think about it and we know mm-hmm. what are good ways to articulate and what aren't. but at the very least we would expect to see the doctrine there, not not, A germ of the doctrine but the doctrine because we don't think doctrine develops we think it's been it's the faith once for all handed down to the saints um yeah
0: yep that's exactly right um let's see is there anything else you wanted to add sean
1: no i think i'm i think i'm
0: done at that point okay we got some comments here oh jackson's harassing us again oh look at that Uh, what it go figure right (laughs) Um and we, uh, Keith Rowley, uh, thank you for the encouragement. I'm glad I'm able to catch this live. I like the new studio. I've been listening wow. to and enjoying the series. Well, well, glad it's helpful. Yeah, thank you very it's much. It's not necessarily an easy, um, an easy book to go through. No, it's, no. it's a lot of a lot of reading. A can lot I... of reading. There's some difficult language in there, but it's really interesting. You, you really get. It's kind of like when you read the Didache as well. You're hmm. there's a lot of information there that we can gather on how the early church. And it's really neat to see how, I think particularly the Reformed tradition, they were not coming up with new stuff. Mm -hmm. They were identifying with um, ultimately the scriptures, but church history as well. And it's encouraging to see that consistency in the practice. We, especially as Baptists, um, in terms of church government, we see see the gospel, justification by faith alone being taught at very early stage um, without any uh, unequiv without any unequivocation. So it's very clear in what they mean. Um, So it's, it's been very interesting, but Keith glad it's been uh, very helpful to you. Um, But with that, I think we'll close down for tonight. We'll continue uh, Lord willing next week into um, continuing through first Clement. Um, We'll probably get another week or two out of this before we get through the book. Um, But Lord willing, we'll see you guys next week. And thank you for joining us.